Well, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Luke chapter 4, continue our series in Luke. Luke chapter 4, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 38 to the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 4, verses 38, starting at verse 38. And he, referring to Jesus, rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases were brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Do you realize that this is great news for us? This is great news for us. Because even though it might not seem like it on the surface, there is incredible news here for you today because of what was just read. Would you agree that we all struggle with sickness, disease, and health issues? We all die. We're all on our way. All of us have felt weaknesses in our bodies. All of us can just be almost annihilated by the simplest flu. A little flu bug can take you out. (laughs) Microscopic, can't even see it. We are weak. We are susceptible. Even a common cold gets us all, doesn't it? If not that, we've been hit by some kind of disease or broken body part or something even more major than that. And this is all part of living on this earth. However, none of us like it. I don't like it. And none of us enjoy being susceptible to it either. But here in this passage this morning, we have the beginning of hope. Hope for all of us. Because Jesus leaves the synagogue, as we looked at last week, and as is the ritual in those days, people would go to someone's house after synagogue on Sabbath, and they would have a big dinner there. And so in this particular Sabbath, it was Peter's house. They decided to go to Peter's house. And it's, this is what we, where he picked up this morning. And he arose, Jesus arose, he leaves the synagogue, and he enters Peter. Well, he's not called Peter yet. Jesus changed his name. He's still called Simon at this point. But he enters Simon's house. And we find out something about Simon Peter. Peter is actually, he's a married man. How do we know that? Well, you don't get a mother-in-law unless you get married. He has a mother-in-law. And uh, Peter is a lot like, well, he's a lot like me. He's a lot like men in general. I'm wondering, you know, in those days, in those houses, smaller houses, apparently the mother-in-law, and and it could be that she's, a widow, or maybe she's still married, and if because of financial reasons, they could live in the same house. 
But they're small houses, and it's, it's difficult to section people off. And he probably knows she's ill with the flu, but he brings the whole party over to his house. And, <laughs> and like most guys, he just isn't thinking about things. He probably should have gave, given, given her some space. But then again, he has somebody special with him. Because then all of a sudden, they appeal to him. Peter's mother-in-law appealed to Jesus. Because Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's got a high fever, and we don't know exactly what's causing this fever. But what's amazing is that Jesus, once again, what does he do? He just merely speaks a word, doesn't he? He rebukes the fever. And what happens? It isn't just that, you know, have you ever gotten over sickness, a flu or something? You usually take a few days to recover, don't you? You're still not, even though it's gone, you still, you're not 100%, and you're certainly not jumping up and ready to serve. But look what happens. She has this bad fever. She's bedridden. You'd think that she'd be wiped out. So he heals her. He just rebukes it, and that she arose and begins to serve them. No effects. Let's go. 100%. Feel great. And off she goes, serving them. And what we discover here is that Jesus has power over sickness. Incredible power. His mere word. He says, fever, be gone. And guess what that fever does? Boink! It's gone. What power? Last week we looked at just his power of the word, and demons jump when he says, be gone. Fevers jump when he says, be gone. This is amazing. It's just, it's an awesome display display of power. Most of us, most of us, if we've ever felt a bad fever or felt achy and felt weak, at that moment you feel your desperate weakness. Imagine if somebody, you're in the presence of one who, all he just says to you, fever, flu, be gone, and boom, it's gone. Not just gone, you feel great. Wow. Now that's some serious, serious power. Now, it's not just serious power in the sense of power for power's sake. This means something for all of them. They've just witnessed something happen. Now, if this happens to her, and they've heard that it's happened to others, and they just saw what happened to the demons, and so when Jesus speaks, even flus and colds and sicknesses flee, that has implications for everybody. Who is this person? Who is he who can, who can deal with these things that seem to overwhelm us? And these Jews, they know the Scriptures, right? They know, they know the Bible. I wonder what's going on in their mind after I thought, what is happening? What are they thinking about? I'm sure they were thinking about Isaiah, because many passages in Isaiah talk about this power of the coming Messiah. When Messiah comes, he's going to do something special. Especially, I think, if there's, there's a passage in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, where it talks about God coming. God coming to save his people. And he says, this is what will happen. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the, shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In addition to this, 
Isaiah 61, Jesus just read in the, in the synagogue that day prior to the, them coming to Peter's house, he talks about it being fulfilled in their midst. Isaiah 61, where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me and he will proclaim good news to the poor, right? He'll set the prisoners free. He'll give sight to the blind. He'll release the captives. And then they're seeing this happen in real life, real time. In Matthew's version, it talks about Isaiah 53. He quotes, he bore our griefs. He took upon, us, upon him our sickness. It certainly would have been amazing to witness, wouldn't it have? To be around Jesus, to see what he did, to see how he just speaks a word and it's gone. But have you ever thought or wondered, where's Jesus today? Why not today? Why not now? Why doesn't Jesus heal people like that today? It's a great question. Truly is a good question, and one that we must understand if we're not to be disillusioned. Jesus does answer our prayer today, but he does at times answer it in a way we don't always like. There are plenty of times when he doesn't answer the prayer in the way that we want it. There are plenty of times where we, we pray for people who are sick, and we pray for people, and we pray, and we pray, and nothing happens. What is that all about? Jesus, at times, allows us to suffer. And it's important to understand that what Jesus was doing when he was on earth and what he, when he was healing these people and casting out demons and what we read this morning, did you realize what he was doing? We have to understand that. We have to understand that Jesus is fulfilling his role as Messiah. He's fulfilling the scriptures. He's there to reveal them to them and to the world that I have come. The Messiah is here. And this identifies him. It fulfills scripture. Jesus was also manifesting to everyone, even to us here today, that he truly is God and the Son of God, the God come in the flesh. That he truly is Messiah, that he is the deliverer. And he did it to show what he would ultimately do. This is a type and a shadow. Jesus will one day completely heal, fix, deliver, and save his people from the suffering and death of this world. That's what he will do. But in the meantime, he's going to use the suffering. He's going to use the, the evil. He's going to use the hardships to discipline us, to form us into his image, into the image of God. As Paul states in Romans chapter 5, 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Because our suffering produces such a great harvest in us, Jesus isn't willing to take us from this world until our time. Jesus is willing to allow us to suffer because of what it produces in us. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray that God would heal us. But we do have to understand that the reason he doesn't at times heal us is because it's better for us in this particular case. It's better that we walk through the suffering. It's better that we have the sickness. Why? 
because it's producing in us character. And it says character hope. All of us would have to admit, wouldn't we, that suffering humbles us? Doesn't expose your weakness? Show you how frail you are, that you're not Superman? That you're not all big and mighty and powerful? That you're weak? What else does it do? It causes us to depend on God. It improves our prayer life. I don't know about you, but mine gets a lot better when things aren't going so well. It teaches us to not cling to this world or to fall in love with this world, but teaches us that we're, we're only here for a short time, and then we have to enter into life that is to come. It teaches us to stop whining. It teaches us so many things. I could go on and on. If there's any, be any virtue in our lives, it's probably come because of trial, suffering, sorrow, sickness, and the things that have come into our lives. Just like when a parent who loves their child are willing to bring them a certain amount of pain in order to make, them make progress. A, a, parent will allow, if a, a parent who loves their child will allow a child to suffer if it's for their good. If you know it's going to make them better, grow them, mature them, develop them, you allow them to go through it. Just that's what a good coach does as well. He's like sometimes a tormentor. More lines. What? We're about, you know, more lines. You're about falling over dead. He says one more time. Is he trying to kill us? Is he insane? No, he's trying to make you. He's trying to form you and shape you into a champion. You know, the devil will put thoughts in your head that God is distant, that God is cold, that God is somehow against you or angry at you or opposed to you. And you know what? He's clever because he whispers that in your ear when you're down and out and you're, oh, it's easy to believe that. Or it's easy to think that. Where is God? Where is God in this? You know, the circumstances, this is a good one, because the circumstances can almost seem like that. However, let's put it into perspective. If God was really against you, do you realize every little gift and good thing that comes from in your life is from him? If he was really opposed to you, And against you, he could just say the word and you'd be done. And everything would be taken from you. Anything you enjoy. He's not interested in destroying you. He's not interested in in, uh, abusing you or watching you squirm. He's interested in developing you. And making you into the kind of person that is formed into his image is a beautiful person. And this is what suffering, this is what sickness, this is what disease does. God uses it to discipline us. And you know what? We are often, because we're tempted in these times of sickness, of trial, of struggle, we're tempted to to question what God is doing. But we're always tempted to question the one who, like the parent or the coach, who is doing this to us because it just doesn't seem to have any care in it any concern in it. It just seems harsh. It seems like too much. 
but it always seems like too much. You know, the one who pushes you, they always seem to push you too far. But it's never too far as long as you come out the other side. Because as long as you come out the other side, you're a different person. And I would be willing to bet that every one of you people here, if I was to say, what is it that changed you the most? Was it the good times in your life when everything was just rosy? You know, you enjoyed that the most. Or was it the hard times, the difficulties, the sicknesses, the disease, the the trials, the suffering? I'll guarantee it's the hardships, the sufferings, the sicknesses, and all those things that shaped you, that formed you, that humbled you, and made you the person you are today. It makes sense, though, doesn't it? Because if you ever wanted to become a world champion at something... Do you realize what the sacrifice and the cost it would take to become one? Tremendous. And do you realize that some are willing to pay that price? And do you know why they're willing to pay that price? Do you know why they're willing to put themselves through that? Because of the objective, the goal. Just to be a world champion or to be among the elite, people are willing to have kill themselves. It's the goal. It's the hope. It's, and that's what they live for. They live for the hope of one day receiving the prize, right? And if you go back to Romans chapter 5, what Paul was talking about, he says that this is, this is how it all works. Rejoice in your suffering. Because what suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. Hope of what? Hope of being made into Christ's likeness. Hope of being made more like him. The hope of the reward of eternity. Do you know what allowed Jesus to endure the cross? Hebrews 11 says it was the hope that was set before him allowed him to endure the cross. What hope of glorification, of saving all these people, of redeeming the world, of offering up to the Father this amazing gift. It was the hope of that that allowed him to endure the cross. Without the hope, he could not have endured the cross. Do you realize that most of us, we struggle, we we struggle like we're stuck in our sickness. We're not like the mother-in-law. Jesus doesn't come along all the time and just say, Shazam, be gone, you're better. Does he? That's right. We suffer, yet we cry out and we pray. And how long, O Lord, please take this from me. But he doesn't, and he allows you to go through it. And why? Because of what it's producing in us. And we can only rejoice in our sufferings as long as we have hope of what it will produce. Without hope, you will hate, hate what God has put under put put in your life, the suffering he's brought into your life, the diseases, the sicknesses, the travail of this life that you experience in this life. Without hope, you're done. You're crushed under it. Because as long as you're living for today and pleasure today and delight today and joy today and the fullness of life today and everything today, as long as that's your hope, the moment that gets taken away, you're upset. You're crushed. You're angry. Jesus, what are you doing? I've prayed to you how many times? I read this. He goes, oh, doesn't do that today. 
Well, it's because his purposes were completely different. There he's revealing to the world that I'm the fulfiller of Scripture, that I am Messiah, I am God, God's only begotten Son, the Deliverer, the Savior. And he's anticipating, he's, he's trying to give you hope. You know what? One day, understand something, every one of these people died. They, Peter's mother-in-law, she got sick again. None of them was permanent. It was all an anticipation of what was to come. We do have one who's greater than our sickness, our disease. We do have one who's taken it away. And his name is Jesus. But in the meantime, he's going to use it now to develop us, to mature us, to grow us, and to it's going to be the means by which we get rewarded in the end. And we're going to be glad that we went through it. Never glad in the middle of it, but glad we went through it. But there's even a bigger thing here, more than just the sickness. Jesus is Lord over the sickness. He has power over it. But there's a bigger issue going on here. It's not just sickness, but Jesus has power over the curse. And now here's the fundamental problem, the curse. If you look at verse 40, now when the sun was setting and all those who had all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on them and healed them. So all those, they hear about what Jesus is doing, and you'd imagine they're flooding his place. And so various sicknesses and diseases, and then he casts out demons. And he's manifesting to them something that's more important than the individuals who were healed. Sure, that was great, wasn't it? Oh, it was so great that you healed my mom. It's so great that you healed my brother. It's so great that you healed my aunt. That was, these were wonderful occasions and should have caused the people to rejoice. But more importantly, there is a fundamental issue being addressed that should cause us all to step back, even you and me here today, and say, wow, this is good news for the world. And why is that? Because if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, what happened? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, they're cast out of God's presence. They experience death now. Sin would reign over them. Death would reign over them. The devil would reign over them. And the curse upon the earth would reign over them. So weeds and thistles and disease and sickness and all these things. What Jesus is doing is he's coming in and addressing the issues that have us plagued. Do you realize that every single problem in this world is a result of sin, death, the devil, and the curse? Just imagine a world where you could address sin, death, the devil, sickness, disease, thorns, and thistles. What you're starting to imagine is what we call heaven. (laughs) Heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus was bringing. This is a big, much bigger than an individual sickness. If somebody, if the things that have us in a bad bind, if the things that destroy us can be dealt with, if we can be delivered from them, That's our great hope. That's the thing that we'd say, wow, if anybody could deliver us from the sin, from death, from the devil, from the curse, that would be a great thing. Please, who could? Well, if somebody, whoever it is, would have to be able to take it on, right? And deal with it. Well, Jesus 
the fact that he's showing up and dealing with these issues says there's somebody who can, by his very word, his very word, destroy it, take it away. We're to take from this a deep confidence that everything we see in the world today as a result of sin, death, devil, disease, sickness, the curse, our hope is that one day, Jesus, on that final day, when he speaks his final word over all creation, it's what we call the resurrection. The curse busted. Sin, we know, was dealt with in the cross. Death was dealt with in the resurrection. But one day it'll all be consummated. And what ends up happening is we live in and realize the kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's our great hope. Our hope is not to be in this life. Our hope is not to be here and now. We're not to cling to the earth now. We're to cling to the promises of God. And as we cling to the promises of God, what are we doing? We're looking forward to that hope, that day, that time, when we see this is just a small picture of it. It's a foretaste of what is to come. Do you feel in your body the death that's gripping you around the neck is going to take you to the grave? Do you feel the aches, the pains? Do you feel the sin that you still struggle with in your flesh? Do you hear the whispers and the lies of the evil one? The accusations and the condemnation that come from him, the temptations... While you live here, it's like being in a 12-round match with the heavyweight champion. You know, boom, 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 boom. And you're being made. (laughs) You're growing. You're maturing. Your faith is strengthening. And God's not about to take you out of the match until he's done with you. Because this stuff that happens, it's not defeat on his part. God is the one who can turn all evil into good. Every bit of evil that ever happens in your life, he works it for good. He'll cause roses to come out of manure piles all the time. That's what he does. That's the God we serve. So in all of this, we need to understand something. That Jesus did not pray that we would be taken out of this world, but that we would remain in this world for a reason. Jesus has us on a mission. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for his people. And in verse 15, he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Did you hear that? I do not ask. He's praying to the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's how Jesus prayed for his people, the church. He says, I'm going to send them into the world, just as you sent me into the world. I, I, I pray for them, but I don't pray that you take them out of the world, only protect them but I want them to be on mission. And here's another component to all of this, understanding how this all works. The world in which we live in is full 
of trouble. It's full of struggle. It's full of difficulty. And God is using that to sanctify, to grow, to mature us into his likeness. But in the meantime, we're just not just supposed to sit there going, wow, this is all working great on me. He says, you're to be on mission. As I was, the Father sent me into the world, Jesus said, so I send them into the world. We're all sent into the world to be salt and light to the world. To bring to the world what Jesus brought to the world. And you, when you watch Jesus throughout his ministry, what is he doing? He's loving, serving, giving, helping, delivering. Here Jesus is on mission, bringing and extending. There's, there's a couple things happening here because he's, he's manifesting before them the kingdom of God in their midst. And he's declaring to them this kingdom, this glorious great kingdom of God. And as, and as he does this, people are experiencing, tasting, seeing this glorious kingdom. And he says, I, I was sent to this world. And we know, as we looked at in Luke chapter 4, he said to proclaim good news to the poor, the poor in spirit. To give sight to the blind, to set the prisoners free, to bring liberty to the captives, to the oppressed. Jesus is doing that. And as we, he says, so the Father sent me, so I send you. And so do you, what is your mission? Your mission is to go into the midst of this ugly world and love, serve, bless, give, and manifest the kingdom to the world around you. Declare to them the great King and Savior that's delivered us and will ultimately completely deliver us in every sense of the word. you realize that today, after the service, we're going to head over to the park. And we're going to head over to the park, and we're going to go have a picnic, have some lunch. But we are the people of God who are sent, just as Jesus was sent. And when we go, we're to be salt and light. We're to be people who are reaching out, people who are loving, serving, giving, blessing, proclaiming. So that people would see, as they see us, they would see the city on a hill whose light could not be hid. They are to see Jesus and all of his goodness, kindness, love, joy, peace. They are to see a, a community that's been transformed by Jesus. The world is to see. And you know, Jesus, when we go over there, Sure, we're going to have some hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff, and we want to ask people if they want any and, and, and give them to them because you know, it's just a small gesture, right? Just a small gesture of, hey, let's just love and give you something that you, you know, I know you didn't ask, and we just want to bless you. A cup of cold water in Jesus' name. But you know what? Jesus, Jesus was into that kind of thing. He showed up at a wedding, they ran out of wine, he makes some more. Why? To bless them. Just to bless them. You know what I want Redeemer Church to be known for? I want us to be the church that loves. The church that manifests the kingdom to the world. 
The church that gains a reputation for reaching out, for loving, blessing, serving, giving, and proclaiming and living the liberty that is in Christ Jesus. And here's where suffering even is part of the mission. Because you know what happens when people get, if you get close enough to them relationally, they're going to see and find out about your life, and they see that you, wow, you, how is it that you suffer gladly? How is it you, you rejoice in your suffering? How is it you continue to rejoice, you continue to give thanks, you can continue to, to praise God, and man, he's delivered some pretty nasty harshness to you. Because they're just, you know, people will ask you for the reason for the hope that lies within you when they see a hope that lies within you, a hope that supersedes your circumstances. Our suffering, our sicknesses, our disease, the things that we go through will actually be used in our mission outward as people see our lives and see, you, you know, following the Lord doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't bring upon us great suffering, but in the midst of it, we rejoice. Why do you rejoice? Because we have hope. Hope in what? Oh, we hope in our God. We know that this is working for our good. We know that he's forming Christ in us. We know that this is great reward for us. We know that in the end, Jesus wins, and this is all turned out for blessing and good. Jesus already demonstrated that in his life. That is what's going on in this particular scene in Luke. There's so much more than just the actual incidents themselves. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the great Messiah and deliverer over sickness, over the curse, and all that is evil in the world. Jesus will deliver. And to that, we give thanks and rejoice. Amen. Father, thank you so much that in Christ Jesus There's resurrection life. There's hope. We know that he's the victor, the one who conquers all and will deliver us from all sickness, all disease, from the curse ultimately. He's delivered us from sin, death, and the devil and granted us life in you. We praise you for this grace, for this gift, and we ask that you would allow us in hope to suffer gladly, knowing what it is you're producing in us knowing that you're good, you're kind, and you're gracious. Amen.